today. I want to jump into, as we continue, a, a series on relationships that we're calling Relationship Goals. Now, this series title comes from the idea that you see something in a relationship that you yourself want to emulate in your relationship. You see something that you say, man, I want to, I want to adopt that. I want that as a part of my relationship. That is a relationship goal for me. Now, I hope to bring some things uh, to help you in this area and, and that you might want to emulate in your own relationships as well. Uh, in this series, as I've said before, it's not just for the married folks in the room. It's also for the singles, those who are dating, uh, those who are scoping and hoping, looking to be dating, you know, the ones that are like, hey, I'm over here, you know, those people too. Uh, but this, this relationship is really a series that, that's for for relationships, if, you're, if you have some relationships, romantic or not, this series hopefully has been helping you. Um, and we're looking to see how God does relationships and, and emulate that inside of us. And so we've been looking at this theme verse for our series. It is this, Romans 12, 2. It starts out by saying this, hey, there's a way that the world does relationships. <laughs> Don't copy it. Don't copy it. Don't copy the patterns and the customs of the world. If there's ever an area where you need to refuse in your life doing it the world's way, it is in the area of relationships. The problem is, when we do it the world's way, it's going to hurt you. And God knows that. So he came along and said, hey, there is a world's way, but I got a better way. Let God transform you into a new person, the verse continues. You see, there's a way that the world does it, and then there is God's way. Here's a problem. You won't want to do it God's way until you are transformed. And that's what's interesting, and that's what I hope to help you with today and through this series, is you never want to be changed until you're changed. And once you're changed, you see the value in being changed, and you wonder, why was I not changed before? It's this process of not wanting to do it until it happens, and once it happens, you realize how great it is. And so transformation is, is not God asking you to do something. Instead, transformation is when God changes you from the inside out, and then you want to do what he's doing. You don't have to be told. You don't have to be asked anymore. You're going to do what he wants to do. But I love how this puts it. You can throw it up there, guys. Let God transform you. You got to let God. You got to let God. Many of you might be struggling in this area of relationship, so let me ask you this question. Have you letted God? Does that make sense? Have you allowed God to transform you from the inside out? You got to let him. He's a gentleman. He's not going to barge in. Transformation is possible for you, but you got to let him in. The verse goes on. How do we do that? We do it by changing the way that we think. And I really see that as my job as a pastor. I, I'm, not the, I'm not God. I cannot transform you, but I can give you some tools to, to help you to think about something differently than you have been thinking about it. And, and it's a great area here in the area of relationships because the world is so good about telling us how to do relationships. And that's what's being put into our face all day in our culture and social media. And so we have to say, well, hold on. There, there is that, but there's a different way. I want to change the way that I think about this. And then once I change the way that I think about relationships, then transformation can take place. And here's the result of transformation. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. God has a plan for your life, church, and regardless of what you believed your whole life, regardless of what people told you your whole life, it is good, pleasing, and perfect. He doesn't want to get back at you for your sin. He doesn't want to uh, hurt you because of the things that you've done. No, his plan is good, pleasing, and perfect. Regardless of what anybody says to you, if you've heard something different, that's a lie from the enemy. 
His plan for your marriage is good, pleasing, and perfect. His plan for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what we're trying to do in this series. And two weeks ago, we talked about uh, commitment. We talked about what commitment is and, and how God sees commitment in a relationship and in marriage, we are committed uh, at, at a covenant level, not a contractional level. This isn't something we can just break. No, we're in covenant together. And, and last week, we talked about communication. I gave you some tools on how you can have better and more effective communication. And today, I want to hit another big C word, one that we really, really want to talk about today, but I think we'll have some fun, and that is conflict. Yeah, I know you're excited. You're excited. I can see it in your face. How many of y'all have had some conflict recently? Uh, thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Appreciate that. Everyone else, you're liars. All right. Um, for all you who are dating, you may be thinking, there's no conflict. These people are crazy. Well, look at the married people laughing at you right now because conflict is inevitable. Any relationship, romantic, not romantic, you're going to have some conflict. I got to be honest with you and be transparent. This week, there was some conflict in the household of the lions, okay? My wife and I had some conflict. I don't know what it is, but anytime I start to preach on something, is the very thing the enemy begins to attack me in. So in my household, we had some conflict this week that we had to work out. How many of y'all would be honest and say, hey, this week, and maybe even in this series, there's been some conflict. There's been some conflict. The very area the enemy wants to attack you in is the very area the Lord is trying to deal with you in and help you in. It's the area of focus right now. And wouldn't you know, the enemy wants to attack you in that very area. So I, for me, this, is, this has been a struggle, to be honest, and, and we, we are working through it. And, and, I, and that's why she's not here. No, I'm just kidding. She's helping out. <laughs> she's helping out with kids. She, I promise you, she did not leave me or forsake me. She did not. She's helping out with kids. I think. Can somebody go check her car? I mean, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> There's some things I've had to learn, and I hope to help you today in this area of conflict. So if you're taking message notes, the title of the message, we're going to look at some conflict goals, some conflict goals, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and this, this day today. God, would you speak to our hearts, help us to be more like you, and would you reveal to us how to have godly conflict in Jesus' name? Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to help you like I normally do. I want to look at some practical things at the end of the message. But first, I just want to take a look at, at some causes and responses of conflict. All right? So here we go. Four causes of conflict. This is where we're going. First thing is this, poor communication. You have some conflict in your life because you've, hey, Allie, you're here. Hey, you didn't leave. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Let's make it awkward. Come on in. Just come on in. Have a I know you're holding babies. I know you don't want to listen to your husband. Get your hand, hold me. No, we got to be real, church. Come on. Four causes of conflict. The first one is poor communication. Poor communication. You know, most, most conflict in a relationship begins with a very small issue. Small issues not dealt with over time become large issues not dealt with, right? But it always starts small. It, but we tend to make things worse with a lack of communication and, honestly, just poor communication. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we did talk about this last week. And I encourage you, if you, if you struggle in this area, you need some help in this area, go back and watch last week's message online. The entire message was on communication. Uh, but we talked about how in communication we have the power of life and death that's in the tongue. So your next breath can either bring life or it can bring death. You know, I heard a story of a man who told his wife, get this, 
how can you be so beautiful and stupid at the same time? <laughs> Wives, how would you respond to that? How can you be so beautiful and so stupid at the same time? That's what the man said to his wife. The wife said, well, I guess God made me beautiful, so you would be attracted to me. And I guess he made me stupid, so I could be attracted to you. (laughs) It's a good comeback, right? We got to speak well of each other, right? We got to speak well. We got to bless and not curse. Psalm 141.3 says, take control of what I say, O Lord Guard my lips. Make this a prayer for you. When you wake up in the morning, God, would you just guard my lips today? Would you, would you just watch what I say? Be the filter of my life. I just want to point out something here. When we're in conflict, our first response is to go to the one who we're in conflict with. However, the Bible's pretty clear on this. We're not to do that. Instead of going to the one we're in conflict with, we've got to go to God. God's the one we go to when we are upset with someone else. So if you struggle in this area, you struggle with conflict, you struggle with your mouth, go to God first, not the person you're upset with. I promise you this will help you. And this is a big theme for today, and we're going to come back to it. But that's the first thing, poor communication. Here's another cause of conflict, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. You know, all anger in a relationship begins right here. You had an expectation in your mind about something, and it didn't happen So now you become angry because it didn't happen. This this really is the source of much anger in our relationships, this unmet expectations. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Man, I hoped this was going to happen. I hoped you were going to say this, and you didn't. Now I'm sick about it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. James 4, 1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? This is when you feel like you're entitled to something or you're deserving of something and then it doesn't happen in your life. You're angry because it didn't happen and you were entitled to it. You were deserving of it. Man, I deserve to have some peace and quiet when I come home from work. (laughs) I deserve that. I worked hard. I dealt with people all day and I got to come home. I want to come home to a peaceful household. I feel like I'm entitled to that and your kids are playing and painting on the walls and and the house is, you know, seems to be on fire, and you're like, ah, I, I'm entitled to have some peace and quiet. Or maybe, man, I deserve to not have to do the dishes after I, cl- I, after I cook the, the dinner, right? Like, I deserve that. I cooked. Why do I got to clean the dishes? So, so we have these unmet expectations, vocalized or not, they're not being met, and now I'm angry about it. Let me show you how the Bible shows you the very next verse. This is the wrong response, by the way to these unmet expectations. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Kill and covet, because we felt like we were entitled to something that did not pan out our way. We kill and we covet. The verse goes on to say later, you do not have because you do not ask God. Which there's a theme, again, for for today. Here's the problem. We're looking to people to fulfill something that only God can give us. This is ruining our relationships because people cannot live up to the God standard that you've placed on them. You've put them in the place of God, and they can't live up to it. We're putting pressure on people when we should be putting the pressure on God, and our relationships are beginning to fail because of that. We have some unmet expectations. Here's the third one, some resenting differences, resenting differences. You know, when you were dating, 
the things that you felt were different about that person that you were pursuing is what tra- attracted you to them. You thought they were different. You thought they were unique. That You thought that they, they had some differences than you did and other people had. And now, over time, the things that attracted you to this person are now the things that you resent about this person. You like it hot, she likes it cold. You like to spend, she likes to save. You like to go out, she likes to stay, to stay in. We, be, we become resenting of the things that we once were attracted to about our, our spouse. My wife and I are total opposites. She is an introvert. I am not, okay? I'm an extrovert. She likes to stay in. I like to go out. She doesn't like to be the center of attention. And me, hey, what's up? What's up? Hey, you know? Allie, seriously, if I said, baby, come on up, I want you to say a few words. She's already shaking her head, and I'm going to hear about it when we get home, right? Like, so I, I can't put that pressure on her, but, but I, I, I appreciate that about her, and I got to be careful with these things because that's what I fell in love with. And over time, I can, if I'm not careful, I can become resentful for her because she won't come up here and grab the mic and preach to you and say a few words. That's not the way that she was made. It's what I actually appreciate about her in the beginning. But over time, I can look at my friends and say, well, their wives are preaching. Their wives are doing this and that. So if I'm not careful, I can grow to resent her in the very thing that I fell in love with. You know, we understand this in football. (laughs) Let's compare a marriage to football for a second. (laughs) In football, you don't need 11 guys weighing 350 pounds. You just need five. Think about this. We need a small, fast guy in the backfield who can run and make some moves. We need a tall guy, a couple of them, who can jump and catch. We need a guy who has a good arm, who can think quickly. And we need a guy who can kick, you know? (laughs) Like, that's a football team. And and we celebrate those differences on a football team. Yet in marriages, we've grown to resent the differences. Well, the more diverse a team is, the better the team. You are a better team because you're different. I want to go on a quick rant for a second. Our country was built on different opinions. You have an opinion about something? Well, we're going to work together on the same team for the good of the country. You know, Abe Lincoln actually put different parties on his cabinet and people with different opinions so they can come to a consensus together. That's how this country was started, with, with that kind of leadership and that kind of thought. Now, hey, you have an opinion that's different than my opinion? Well, you should be canceled. You should be fired from your position. You should probably serve jail time, and we should probably stone you to death. Like, that's how severe we want to go when someone has a different opinion than us. This is dangerous. We are no longer the United States of America. We need to come back together and celebrate our differences because our differences is what unites us. Mark 3.25 says this, If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. You and your spouse... You're a single unit. When I do weddings, I say the two have come in as two separate beings, and as we marry them together, they're going to leave today as one flesh. They've come in as two separate, and they're leaving as one. There's something spiritual that takes place. you got to come together, celebrate your differences that caused you to fall in love with each other in the beginning. And if you don't, a house divided against itself, it won't stand. Your marriage won't last. So we got to stop resenting the differences. Here's the fourth and final cause of conflict. It's our sinful nature. I hope to free some people in this point right here. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. That's you. That's your spouse. That's your employee. That's your kids. We all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. 
So why do we expect our spouse to always have the perfect response, to have the most holy answer? Now, we're holding our spouses to an unrealistic expectation when the reality is we're both going to make a ton of mistakes in this thing. So let's just give each other a break. I just want to lean in on this for a second. I don't know how your marriage is going, if you're in one today, but give yourself a break. Give your spouse a break. They are sinful. And it's, it's really easy for them to blow it. I don't know if you've discovered that, but it's really easy for your spouse to blow it. I mean, they have to try really, really, really hard to get it right. And by the way, so do you. So let's give each other a break. We're both in the same position. So what I want you to see is that conflict is easy, and, and, and resolving conflict is extremely difficult if you haven't figured that one out. But the key is to not try and change the other person. Instead, look to God to change you from the inside out. Experience that transformation. I want to give you four ways to deal with conflict, okay? Looked at causes, and I want to show you four ways that we deal with conflict. First, a lot of people have this. That's my way. <laughs> I'm the boss. I'm the man of the house. It's my way or the highway. Do what I say. Well, no one wants to follow that kind of a leader. No one wants to follow a dictator, right? This is obviously the wrong way, right? Okay, so usually we respond to this and say, okay, here's another way we can, we can uh, deal with conflict, and that is your way. And a lot of relationships live right here. For the sake of peace, I'm just going to say, okay, I don't want to you know, anger you. I don't want to upset you. I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to go along with it. But on the inside, you're just as miserable as you've ever been. So my way is not right. Your way is not right. And so a lot of marriages go here, halfway. <laughs> Let's just go halfway, okay? You get your way half the time. I get my way half the time. Well, the problem with that is we're both miserable half the time. So it doesn't work either. There is one way. I'm sure you know where I'm going. This is what I hope to bring to you every single week, the right way, and that is God's way. There is a way to do relationships the right way. It's God's way. It's his way. He created this. But we first have to go to him. We have to go to God first. I do a lot of premarital counseling, a lot of marriage counseling, and I love it when couples come to me with problems. I don't do this every time, but sometimes I'll, I'll let them just vent and just go at it like, oh, yeah, and then what? You know, they're just mad and pointing fingers and yelling and screaming no way, did that, no way, you know, just let them go at it, and then they, like, look at me and say, well, fix me, you know, like, what do I need to do, and I'm like, well, let's table all that for right now, let's, let's come back to that, Here, here's what I want you to do, for the next week, I want you to fast, I want you to pray, I want you to seek God like you've never sought God before, I want you to go hard, like, I want you to really seek God this week, and then next week, we'll come back and rehash it and talk about it again, now, for those that don't do it, I won't help them, but if they do do it, can you imagine how that next meeting goes? They usually forget all about it. <laughs> like, that's yesterday's problems. I went to God and I already dealt, God dealt with me on that. I'm good now. I, I mean, we, I've, what I've learned is I can't solve problems, only God can. So the only way that you can get your problems solved is by going to God first. God's way is better than our way, I promise you, and it works in your relationship. So I want to share a thought in the Bible with you that I hope will help you uh, as it comes to conflicts in our relationships. I found this in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a poetic book, if you've read it before. 
I want to, it's, it's Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 5, but I want to read how it starts. And you, this might sound familiar to you. You might have enjoyed a song like this, but there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. Okay, so, so it's a poetic book, and he's saying there's a time for everything, and then it lists out a, a ton of times, a time, and then in verse 5, it says this. This is what I want to focus on today. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to gather stones and a time to scatter them. You might think to yourself, well, what does this mean? Well, this is poetry from God. Meaning this, that you can either throw stones or you can gather stones. Well, gather them. What am I gathering them? To build an altar to God. You see, many places in the Bible where God would do a miraculous work, they would stop there, they'd gather some stones, and they'd build an altar to God to say, this is where God changed me. This is a place of worship now. This verse is powerful when you read it in the context of relationships, though, if you think about it this way. I, I'm just, I just believe that we all have stones. We all, ha- we all have them. I mean, some of your spouses just give them to you on a silver platter, you know? Like, there's just reasons that you can go after your spouse. So we have these stones, and you can take your stones and you can scatter them. I mean, you can scatter them right upside their head. <laughs> and a lot of marriages do that. You give me a stone, I'm going to throw it right at you. And what we're doing is we're using the stones in our life as a weapon against our spouse. So we can, we can throw stones. We can, we can throw them at our spouse. I mean, you never do anything in the house. You're so lazy. You don't love me anymore. You're a terrible father. Man, I want a divorce. I hate you. I mean, we have these stones that we can throw. And the Bible says we can, we can throw the stones. We can scatter the stones. Or we can gather stones. And what we're doing is the stones that have been given to us, we're, gonna, we're just going to begin to gather them. And we're going to be able, instead of throwing them, because I really want to throw it, I'm just going to begin to build an altar. God, I'm leaving this relationship to you. I know that I can take this stone. I know that I can throw it. But you're the healer. You're the restorer. You can fix anything. God, nothing is too big for you. I'm going to keep just building my place of worship. You're the God of the impossible. You can either use your stones as weapons in your relationships, or you can surrender to God in worship. You have a choice what to do with these stones. And I know for some of you, you're trapped in your own conflict. Because you said, I'll never be happy until they do this. The problem is, you've now given power to the person in your life, and you've made them in charge of your peace and happiness now. You won't be happy until they do what? Well, then you're going to have to wait a long time. You've given them that power in your life. So I want to give you the big thought of the day, and it's this right here. Conflict cannot continue without my participation. It can't. There must be two parties in conflict. Without you, there's no conflict anymore. So they'll see you. They'll see you pick up some stones, and you're ready to throw them, but instead you're building an altar to God. They might have handed you that stone. They might have given you a reason to throw a stone. But instead of planning your next shot, which I think we do in relationships, oh, if they say this, I'm going to go here, and that's going to hit hard, you know. I'm planning my attack. 
instead of planning your next attack, plan your next altar. Get on your knees and seek God. Instead of getting on your knees to gather stones to throw, we're going to get on our knees to seek God to build an altar to him. You may be thinking, come on, pastor, it's not that good. You don't know my situation. You don't know my relationship, my marriage. You don't know my spouse. Well, you may be right, but I got to ask you, when was the last time you surrendered this to God? Have you allowed him to transform you from the inside out, or have you just been trying counseling and therapy? Because that's not transformation. That's a Band-Aid. It's going to help you for a, a season, but if you don't allow God to transform you from the inside out, that's going to do nothing over time. So I, I really want to help your marriage today. I don't know if you're in trouble, or maybe you'll be in trouble in a week. I, I don't know, but I want to help you today. And it, it, I want to give you a thought. It's not a thought that's going to grow a church. Just tell you that right now. But it's an honest biblical thought that I think can save your marriage. And it's this. God is not here to solve your marriage problems. There you go. I told you. I told you. It's not going to build a church. It's not a fun, happy message there. He's not here to, to tell your spouse what to do. And I think many people probably hoped I was going there today. Like, fix her. <laughs> fix him. Like, you're gonna, are you going to tell my spouse how to be fixed today? That's what we really need, Right? That's not what God's here to do. That's not how you have a great marriage. Here's how you have a great marriage. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but he who lives in me. I, I'm killing my expectations. I'm killing my frustrations. I'm killing my desires. Why? Because how can a dead person get mad and jealous? I died to that. That's what we do at baptism. We die to flesh. How can we live in it any longer? Even Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I die every day. See, Paul understood selfishness, anger, resentment, frustration. That wakes up with him every morning. <laughs> and he knew those had to die every day. And the only way for those to die every day was for he himself to die with them. Not a physical death, a fleshly death, killing the flesh, these things that just come out that aren't God, that is building an altar instead of throwing stones. Now, I want to close with four ways, some practical here. Hope, hope this is helping you today, church, but some four ways to respond to conflict. I'm going to get some practical and helpful here as we close. First thing is this, act and not react. I will no longer wait for conflict to arise and come to me and then react negatively and then go to church on Sunday and repent of it, which is how we live our life. Like, I didn't see that coming. I responded poorly. God, help me. No, I'm going to make some pre-decisions. May, this may sound weird, but you need to have a pre-fight plan with your spouse, <laughs> a pre-fight plan, right? Allie and I learned how to do this through a, a, a book study called How He Loves. If you want to write it down, How He Loves. And many couples have gone through it in the church, and it's been super helpful. Um, but did you know there's a godly way to fight? Like, we're going to fight. So we've got to figure out how to, how to fight right and fight in a healthy manner. Why? Because of this verse right here, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Okay, we are going to get angry. The Bible says you're going to get angry. But in your anger, it's forbidden to sin. Why? Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? And do not give a foothold to the devil. So, so the reason we don't, the reason we want to have healthy conflict is because if you don't, you're giving the enemy a seat at your table. You're inviting them into your household. 
But when the enemy comes into your household, he can go after your kids. So we're going we're gonna to stop conflict. We're going to fight fair, fight in a healthy manner so that we don't give the enemy a seat at our table. So I just want to help you today, some practical. Uh, this is fun. I'm coming to you again, so you better think of something different. Um, she went, she, she, okay, if you're in a fight and you're upset with your spouse, what normally happens is it's just a, a back and forth screaming match, right? And you just start getting personal, right? So, uh, Allie, what is something that, uh, that you're upset with me about that we can deal with in front of all these people? Be careful. <laughs> huh? You can do it. I mean, if I only have one, I mean, I'm just, I'm not bragging, but yeah. I never take out the trash. You know where the sermon's going. I'm getting there. Okay, well, that's fine. We're going to use that. We're going to use it. I never take out the trash, you know? Well, you never, you never do the dishes. You don't do the laundry. You, you know, it's just like, I got to be careful. That's why I'm pausing. But, um, this is like a joke, so I don't want to like give her ammunition later. So, yeah, you joke until it's not a joke. So that's normally how a fight goes, you know. So she, so she's, she has a genuine concern with me that I don't take out the trash, and I now went personal on her, right? I'm like, well, you smell, you know. It's like, whoa, you know, like, why'd you go there, you know? So instead of doing that, the, the, this curriculum, how he loves, teaches you to do this. So, babe, you never take out the trash, okay? I'm gonna take a step back and say, okay, what I heard you say is I never take out the trash. So I'm acknowledging what she just said, and then I'm gonna give her an answer why, like. Because I'm an idiot or something like that. But no, but you could say like, well, I don't take the trash because I'm busy. I get home from work and, and I just forget about it. So I'm, I'm, we're having a conversation about it. And then she would respond by acknowledging what I just said. Okay, so when you get home, you're, you're busy. That's not why you take out the trash. Can you do a better job? Okay, I can, I can do a better job of that. Like we solve it right there. And a lot of times we'll do this. It's like a role play deal. It's kind of hard to do in the beginning. But what normally ends up happening is we'll try that a couple times and we start laughing and then the fight's over, you know? So, so what I'm trying to help you to do is, is to stop getting personal, stop, stop attacking, but instead listening. Take a step back. What I heard you just said is this. You need to take out the trash. I'm going to do a better job of that. Or if I don't feel like I'm going to do a better job, I got a good reason I don't take out the trash. Like, I am allergic to trash. So can you start <laughs> taking out the trash? But it's a conversation, right? We're, act, we're learning to act and not react. Okay. Let me give you a few, a few tools on this subject on how to act and not react. I'm just give you, you need to write these down. These are things that you should, should not do, okay? Never, never put it off. Never put it off. The longer it festers, the bigger the problem goes. I mean, in the, in the end of the day, like, you're going to have to solve it at some point. <laughs> like, just look at them and say, we're going to be friends at some point, like, and we're probably going to make up, so let, let's just start that now, you know? Like, let's, let's just be friends now. Never put it off. Just address it head on. Here's the second thing. Never call names. Don't get personal with it. And, and, and this is important in marriages, but let me tell you where it's even more important with your kids. Parents, please do not call your kids names. Man, you're such an idiot. Why don't you ever pick up uh, your toys, you know? You never do anything right around the house. You're such a mistake. And I hear parents say that to their kids. Well, your kids will become what you tell them that they are. If you tell them they're a mistake, they'll believe they're a mistake, and they'll live with that the rest of their life. We said this last week, but speak things that are not as though they are. You're speaking blessing. You're speaking potential. You're speaking destiny into your kids. 
I am where I am today with the confidence I have because of my dad and my mom. My dad's here today. And, and I am who I am because they spoke that into me. I mean, my dad has never said a negative thing in his entire life, I promise you. I mean, ever. I've never heard him say it. My, dad, my dad's a great, he's never cussed, never drank, nothing that, right? So, I mean, he's a great example to me. He was a great, so, but he spoke that potential into me. He spoke that destiny to me. So did my mom. They believed in me. And so I am where I am today with a lot of confidence because of how I was raised and the, the, the stuff my parents said to me. What you say to your kids matters. They will live up to it. Second thing is this, never raise your voice. You can say what you want to say without getting loud. I mean, we, we, we're in the same room. We can hear each other, you know? The Bible says a harsh word stirs up anger. I, I don't know. I hate yelling and arguing and stuff like that. It's just, there's no place for it. Like, you, you need hearing aids? I mean, like, let's, let's calm down, you know? There's no reason to raise your voice. The next one is this, never get historical. I did not say hysterical. I said historical. And ladies, I apologize. This one's coming to you. <laughs> women have an incredible memory. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but women, God has blessed you. You remember things from years and years ago. Allie will tell me, you did that last time. I'm like, well, when did I do it last time? She's like, 10 years ago. We were in that house. You were sitting in that chair. You had this shirt on and those shoes I absolutely hate. You did it then. It's like, I don't know what I'm wearing right now. You know, like, I don't know, I don't know how, but God has blessed you with that, okay? Let's not go there. It doesn't help. We don't need to deal in the past. We deal in the present. And this situation is bad enough. We don't need to go looking for more to pile on to this situation, all right? And all the men said, Amen. Picked on the men last week, so sorry, it's only fair. All right, next one is this. Never say never or always. Never and always are just lies. <laughs> like, like, no one never and no one always does or does not do something. Like, and all the literal people said amen. I mean, I'm, I'm like a literal guy. I'm like, that's not, that's impossible. Like, I didn't never, she said, you never take out the trash. I've taken out the trash before, you know. <laughs> You, you could say you sometimes, a lot, majority of the time, don't take out the trash. I'm in on that. But, like, you never take out the trash? Anyways, okay, so that, again, that rises me up, okay? And the last one is this. I'm getting some counseling right now with you, and I appreciate that. And the last one is this. This is the biggest one. Never threaten divorce. Take divorce off the table. Take it out of your vocabulary. This, this will genuinely, truly affect your relationship if you allow it to be a part of the vocabulary. My, my wife grew up in a household where there was never an option, never a word. They never spoke it out. So, so that's something we've adopted. I mean, your spouse needs to know that you're not going anywhere. Because if, if they think that you're going to bail at any point in time, then what's the point in fighting? But you're saying, I'm not going anywhere. Allie knows, as bad as it can get, I'm not going anywhere. And I know she'll never leave me. She might kill me, but she will never leave me. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's the second one. Focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Some ways to respond to conflict. Focus on the positive. This is a decision that you're going to need to make when you wake up. You can either today, I can highlight the negative in the world and I can point out the negative in my spouse, or I can highlight and point out the positive in my spouse and in the world. You have a choice what you do. Is it going to be a negative day or a positive day? I'm a big, I'm a big believer of this, this positive thinking thing. Like, like, for instance, when you drive on Highway 71 
entering into Bee Cave, and you hit Hamilton Pool at rush hour, okay? Like, yeah, I can see the, the rage coming up inside of you. I get the same way. I got to take uh, Sayla to soccer practice that way like four times a week. And so it's like just going down there. I, I live in the country for a reason, you know, and then you're coming into here. Now, when I, when I get angry and, and, and people start slowing down at West Cypress Hills <laughs> for whatever reason, they know, they know traffic is in three miles and they're going to slow down now and I'm behind them. I just got to remember, okay, instead of cussing at them and telling them they're number one, I got to remember, okay, God, you called me to the city. For whatever reason, when we were planting this church, God called us to Highway 71, maybe for reasons like this and times like this. And I got to remember, God, I can't, I, I, I love these people. You, you called me to these people. How dare I cuss at them and scream at them and think negative things towards them. So when I say instead, God, thank you for that man who just cut me off. <laughs> Praise God, Lord, help him, right? I'm, I'm just, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be positive. I'm going to joke about it. I'm going to be positive because there's so much to be negative about. It is easier to be negative than it is to be positive. So I'm going to choose when I wake up to be positive. Here's what I'm going to do, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I'm going to think about that. And when you do, the very next verse says, Guess what's going to happen? The peace of God is going to be with you. When you think about those things, when you focus on the positive, God focuses on you, and he's with you. We're going to focus on the positive. Here's the third one. We're almost done. We're going to apply God's grace. We're going to apply God's grace. You know, we all want God's grace for us, but I'm going to choose to apply God's grace for you because you need it. <laughs> I'm, going to get, I'm going to apply God's grace on your life. It's kind of funny. We wish ill will on people. Man, God's wrath, God's vengeance, God poured out fire from heaven on that person, right? But yet we think we're deserving of all the grace in the world, even though we know we make mistakes. Man, the Bible says that we are to forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven. So my question is, how much have you been forgiven? Yeah, show them that much forgiveness. Next time you're in a fight, just push your emotions to the side and think, man, God loves this person. He sent Jesus to die for this person. This person makes mistakes just like I do, and this person is worthy of the grace of God just like I am. Yet many of us would rather see God withhold his grace from somebody. That's just evil. That's demonic. Let's love others as Christ has loved us. To whom much is given, much is required. And here's what I know. You have been given much love and forgiveness. And in order to do that one, here's the last one. We've got to realize this point right here. We've got to receive God's mercy. We can't do any of this if we never remember God's mercy on us. Once we realize and we're reminded of how much God loves us and the mercy he gave to us, how he freely gave his son Jesus, it's mercy, then we ourselves can freely give love and forgiveness to others. See, God sent his one and only son Jesus to the cross for you so that you can be forgiven, that you can receive mercy, and you can live for all eternity in heaven with him. All your shame, all your sin, your mistakes, past, present, and future were paid for on the cross. But you gotta receive it. 
John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those he gave, he believed, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You gotta receive. In order for you to walk in love, you need to receive it for yourself. I just wanna pray for you as we close this service out. Would you just bow your heads where you're at? As we think about conflict, as the Lord's been speaking through the service to you, I first want to pray for those who need help in this area. If that's you today, just receive this. Father, I thank you that you are the God of conflict, that you love us so much. You love us and you love the one that we're in conflict with. Lord, I ask this morning that you would enable us to choose love and positivity, to not hate, to not be angry, to not be negative. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us peace in conflict. You will enable us to fight well, fight right, fight in a healthy way, to see others as we see ourselves, that we're worthy of forgiveness, we're worthy of mercy. So how dare us take that away from somebody that we're in conflict with? Would you help us to see people as you do? And I want to close by praying for those who have never received the mercy of God. I don't think any of this is possible if you never take time to receive God's mercy. The hell, hell and death was what we should have received. But God looked upon us and had mercy on us. Just even have the picture now of like gladiator times and the the king puts his thumb out. Is he gonna have mercy, yes or no? You looked down on us and you had mercy on us. You saved us from death. You saved us from hell. So right now, if you've never made a decision and prayed a prayer to receive the mercy of God, I just want to lead you in a prayer this morning. If that's you today, just pray this prayer. Say, God, today, this morning, I receive your mercy. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me on a cross so that I might be saved. Help me to walk in love. Help me to show others the mercy of God. And I'll live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we clap and celebrate those who prayed that prayer?